You are listening to Life Clips. Is the world spinning out of control? Is the doomsday clock nearing midnight? There is so much going on globally that at times you just can't keep up. From the repetitive news of COVID to being silenced on major platforms, from lawlessness and violence to loss of jobs, these life pressures will only lead to anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, frustration, and anger. So where do you turn? Where should you turn? That's right, the Bible. Here at Life Clips every Friday, we bring encouragement, freedom, and biblical truth in these most chaotic, worrisome times in which we live. Grab your coffee or grab your tea. This is going to be a good one. How did we get here? Can I be honest and candid with you? When the restraining orders of God are breaking down, it's because the church and the Christian are bowing down. Because if you came to my house, it would look as if Hobby Lobby threw up everywhere. I want the word of God to be written on my walls. I want my children, my two children to read scripture in the living room, in the bedroom, in the kitchen. I want them to be so exposed to the word of God, they can't get away from it. I want to do what God has called me to do by training up my children in the way of the word so that when they're older, Lord willing, they will not depart from it. Many people ask me, Am I going to tell my children eventually what their daddy did? Soccer was my main sport growing up. I played basketball, played football, um, but as I got older, I started to narrow out the, the sports path, and soccer was what I really excelled at. March, April of 2007, um, when I got to college, I went down and trained with a professional organization in North Carolina. My older brother was on that exact team impressed the coach so much he signed me within the week so I signed my first professional contract on the exact same team as my older brother so my parents were super proud their youngest boy and another one of their sons was playing professional soccer together my first start as a rookie was against international powerhouse Cruz Azul of Mexico so to be on that field was super surreal I remember it like it was yesterday putting on the jersey my name my number, having you know a packed house in a stadium and getting called out as the starting lineup and then playing pretty well that game. And that was kind of my lifestyle out of college. Born and raised in a very strong Christian household. My mother and father uh, taught me and my older brothers faith by living faith. That's, what I, that's how I learned it. I watched them actually live it. I got into my vehicle, turned it on, and we, instead of going a mile down the street or even walking, we decided to go to Atlantic City got onto Atlantic City Expressway, uh, 20 miles outside of Philadelphia, made it to about milepost 18 on Atlantic City Expressway. ...is well known in the community. I guess we all make mistakes uh, once in a while, and that's 
It's kind of a big one to make. According to police, witnesses say Mayer was driving at a high rate of speed around 3 Saturday morning when his Cadillac Escalade slammed into the back of another SUV just before the $3 toll on the Atlantic City Expressway in Hamilton Township. He goes, your son Matt was involved in an asphalt drunk driving accident. time later, seven plus years, I'm reporting on that word and, and what it does inside of me. I remember hearing it and actually repeating it and saying, what does deceased even mean? I remember actually going into denial, completely convincing myself that what I just heard wasn't true. And his next step, his next move, his next word, after a three-second pause, was, but I forgive you, my brother. And he came over to where I was sitting down at the bench, and the bailiff told me to rise. And I stood up, and he came over, and we embraced each other like brothers. And I whimpered in his ear, and I said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And it felt as if in that moment, January 7, 2010, the day I would be sentenced to prison, was the exact day that I was set free forever. Uh, the more healing came to my own heart and obviously the catalyst of that full healing was heaven reaching down on sentencing day through Mr. Hortcap's son, Noon, and extending forgiveness. That was like the sealer to me going away to prison, set free, but on a mission and a journey to magnify God in everything I said and everything I did. So it was like it snapped on and it was no longer intellectual, it was no longer head knowledge. It now fell from my head into my heart and I felt it. And the pain that I have inside of me, God's turned into passion. So I, I refuse to allow pain to debilitate the voice that God has entrusted to me, no matter where. I believe what you started, you will complete. I believe every broken thing will be redeemed. I believe because you've always been faithful to me, to me, to me. The story is not. See, the word of God is the only word that cannot be broken, yet it has the power within it to restore what's broken. See, if man had a hand in this, he'd be able to destroy it. Anything man makes, man can eventually destroy. That's why we know the word of God has stood the test of time. All of these generations later, it's still remaining truthful. The Bible has been attacked by many great people of great power and great authority. They've used all their scientific, all their intellectual, all their political, all their philosophical, and all their physical forces they could possibly command to destroy it. Emperors tried to burn it. Scholars tried to discredit it. 
Critics tried to bury it. The world tries to ignore it. Yet, while human governments have fallen, while human philosophies have failed, the word of God still flourishes. Let's take a quick break. Everyone is podcasting these days. If this is something you want to do or you're already doing it, I would recommend using Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout has tons of guides to help you find the right equipment at the right price. I currently use the Blue Yeti. Buzzsprout is an extremely user-friendly platform and I could not be happier with their services. There are so many things that this site allows you to do. From your show being listed on every major podcast platform to the audio player that you can use seamlessly on your websites to the detailed analytics of what we, come on guys, the podcasters want to see. Don't lie, I know you look at that too. We want to know who was listening, where they're listening, how long they're listening. There are zero hassles because Buzzsprout provides these tools and more to help promote our podcasts. Fellow podcasters, do we not work hard? Well, I am here to tell you that Buzzsprout works even harder to make our podcasts stream streamlessly. Yes, I know that's not a word. If you want to join a company that already has over a hundred thousand podcasters, click the link and let Buzzsprout know that we sent you. This will get you a $20 credit if you sign up for a paid plan. And in addition, of course, it'll help support our show. Don't delay. Start Buzzsprouting today. Hey everyone, Kim here. To say that I am beyond excited for this episode would be an understatement. Um, I'm not going to digress. I will stick with my show notes for a reason, uh, but I am beyond thrilled to have this guest join the Life Clips family. Before I get into all of that, I'd like to bring in this week's mug. I'm not sure if I already brought it in, but I'm going to go ahead and um, show this really quick. And uh, it's a cute little mug that I got on Amazon. And it says, all I need today is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Because I think that's what we need today is a whole lot of Jesus. So this is this week's mug. All right. Anyway, let me go ahead and dive right in. So... My guest today is Matthew Mayer. Matthew Mayer was a former pro soccer player, young, and to really the the human out there had a bright future ahead. But one night, all of that was shattered. I know you kind of saw a little bit in the opening intro to Matthew Mayer. So he's going to dive into his story 
and his story of redemption. And that is full circle of life clips. So Matthew's story is not only about tragedy, but God's redemptive power. So during this episode, you may say, wow, what a fall from grace. However, the God that we serve, we can never lose his grace. There's never a fall from grace because from the moment that we become his children, born again, that's the moment we are sealed and our sins are cast as far as the East is from the West and God remembers them no more. So why that particular direction? Why not North to South? Because North to South, there's a stopping point. East to West, there is none. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22, it says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Very briefly, you saw in the beginning that Matthew grew up in a Christian home. He did all the Christian things, even right up to that night on March 7th, 2009. So what went wrong? How did this happen? You can find out more about Matthew's story and more about Matthew on his Truth Over Trend website. If you Google his name, just so you know, you'll see the Matthew Mayer story, but that link will actually take you to truth over trend. To quote a snippet from that page, it says, Matthew is no longer persuaded by the trends of the culture around him and is committed to share the truth of Christ within him, whatever the cost. Truth over trend was birth out of the conviction of redemption. You can also find apparel at Overwear. All of these links, as always, will be in the show notes. I'm actually going to be wearing one of these shirts when Matthew comes on. So clearly you can see I'm like this now. When Matthew comes on, I will definitely be wearing that shirt. Oh, the joys of editing. So if you didn't know how podcasts were done, now you know. Uh, There are some times that we do record and meal piece together, but I do want to preface that by saying that the shirt you're seeing now is not going to be the shirt in the interview. So anyway, the shirt that I have ordered is called Grace Over Guilt. And I chose this shirt because my life clip tells a story, right? It tells a story of God's grace and his never ending love. And it reminds me that he never sees my guilt, the guilt that I have carried for many years and that the enemy, he's relentless, right? He wants to remind you over and over again of your past. But then I read the book and I can remind him of his future. However, God, in all of those years of my rebellion, never left me. So I choose grace over guilt because God has stayed right with me where he's always been. God has washed me. He has redeemed me. So what would your life clip say? 
go over to Overware and find out. And here's many other different shirts that they have. So pick up your apparel today. Speak to the world by what you're wearing. Now, listen, he didn't ask me to plug this. I just love the concept. I love the concept of what you can see here. And actually, you can tell the world about your life clip and what a great conversation piece. Matthew is also a published author. You can find all of his books and others at 5511 Publishing. And I want to quote, and it says, possess a Christ-centered paradigm, publishing with purpose. They also use the seven pillars of wisdom that's found in Proverbs chapter nine, verse one in their statement. All of these books that you see on the screen here, you can purchase from Matthew at amazon.com. He is also part of the Be Still Foundation. What do you do when life, as my very first episode said, when life hands you lemons, but you cannot make lemonade, what do you do? Life is not always easy. And I loved, loved, loved the premise behind this Be Still Foundation. It reminded me so much of the the, the, the God inception of this podcast, what God led me to start because we have pain, there's suffering, there's sorrow within the body of Christ. But sometimes we just have to be still, be still in the presence of God, be still knowing, man, he's got you. No matter what your life clip be still. You know, it's so hard in this day and age to be still. We have our phones and technology and there's kids and there's husbands and wives and jobs and there's bills and there's just the chaotic realm of life. But we just need to be still and the church needs to do a better job of helping people navigate these life clips that seem to bind and weaken the frailty. I mean, people are frail from the body of Christ. So be still. The foundation is amazing. And we have to remember that many Christians are backslidden, depressed, broken, addicted, or in Matthew's case, imprisoned. Be still, even when your faith is shaken. Know that God is there. It's a powerful foundation. Feel free to go check it out. Matthew, last but not least, is also the teaching pastor of Coastal Christian Ocean City in Ocean City, New Jersey. I guarantee you guys throughout the duration of this podcast, my New York accent is going to come out a little stronger. Do you know why that is? Because I've been listening to Matthew for a little bit now. And he says words that I remember I used to sound like, right? I still say the coffee and the dog, but hearing him makes me feel like I'm back on Long Island. So again, I will let everyone know that there are words that I'm probably going to say, and you're going to be like, why does Kim sound so funny? That would be why. 
He's doing an amazing series right now through the book of Daniel. And the pastor, the lead pastor is also going through the book of Revelation. So please head on over to their YouTube channel, Coastal Christian Ocean City, and you can subscribe to them. Again, all of these links, um, including links to purchase apparel and his books and Truth Over Trend and the Be Still will all be posted here in the show notes. Listen, guys, enough with me. This is going to be an amazing week. I cannot thank God enough for opening this door. Because as we read in Psalm chapter 107, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So please let us welcome to the Life Clips family, Matthew Mayer. Hey, Matthew, how are you? What is up, Kim? Not much, just uh, living the dream, I guess. I don't know. I I, uh, I know I briefly told you this before we started recording, but I, I just, uh, I'm tired. You know, I work two jobs and the devil just seems to be everywhere and it wears on me. It really sure. does. Sure. So, but hopefully the Lord will come maybe during this podcast. That would be great. That is Get our hope, soul right? out of here, right? <laughs> There's not one problem the rapture won't fix. That's right. So anyway, all right. So I am certainly honored to have you here today. And um, I don't mean that in a prideful or boastful manner. So I heard you, I listened to Gary Hamrick. He is just from, by the way, I call our listeners family because that's what I want them to be as family. And uh, I come here organic, real. I don't hide who I am. Sometimes that's not a good thing because a lot of people don't want to hear truth, as I'm sure you know. So with that being said, I believe it was midweek. I don't know what uh, Wednesday or Thursday, but anyway, I was listening to Gary um, and I always catch up after you guys are online just because of my schedule. So maybe I listened on a Friday or Saturday and here comes this young man to the stage and oh my gosh, like I was like, wow, is this because I've been through some really feel good churches um, that I, Lord has quickly removed me out of. So I've heard some really like Carl Lentz dynamic people, but here you were with like the gospel. And I was like, wow. And then you led into your story. And I just, I have tissues here today. And I just wept. I'm going to start crying because of God's goodness. Um, And it just resonated with my spirit on how God can take something broken like that and make it into what you're doing for him today. And I want to preface this episode by saying, I do not negate the fact that a life was lost um, at all. So please family, hear me on that. Um, My heart, I think that's part of the reason I cried. My dad was killed in an auto accident by a careless driver on the LIE Long Island Expressway. And you know, for so, so I can empathize with both sides here. I can empathize with the family and the hurt. And then I can empathize with you because I do follow Christ. And I know that he's always continually connecting dots. So anyway, with that being said, um, you have an amazing life clip and I feel like you have brought this podcast full circle. I kind of digressed a little bit and I still do because of the nature of the world that we live in. But before we get into your life clip, uh, I know we have spoken previously, you were raised in a Christian home, you did the Christian things, 
And I'm not a judger of anyone's heart. And I just want to know, was it, you know, we have wheat and tares, sheeps and goats. So was it a like, yes, I'm saved and I just backslid. Um, so kind of go through your, before we get to the story, your past first, where all of that started. So the floor is now yours. Right. Uh, it's easy to say that my mother and father didn't just raise us in church. They raised us in Christ because they exemplified their faith. So it wasn't Christianity or Christianese as mm-hmm. church often can make it very religious and traditional. They lived out their faith. And I'm one of four boys. I'm the youngest. So we watched our mother and father truly commit their lives to Christ and all they said and all they did and how they trained up their children in the way we should go so that Mm -hmm. prayerfully when we're older, we would not depart from this foundation of faith. So often say, you know, they helped lay the bricks and the mortar beneath our feet. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what parents should do. Unfortunately, when I became probably in my early teens, um, began to kind of fit into all the other crowds. So I did the Mm -hmm. church thing was at the youth groups, had one foot in the world, one foot in the word. Um, I guess in hindsight, I could dissect, was I really saved? And I would say with such sincerity and authenticity, I remember like falling to sleep every single night as a young man praying, like God use me. I was Mm -hmm. an athlete. Um, I was popular in my area. So I would say yes. But then again, I want to even want to gamble with that and say to anybody listening today, like you can't gamble on that, whether or not Mm. you, I've said recently, Mm. and I think this has been my tagline as I preach, if you think you're going to heaven, but heaven doesn't influence the way you think you need to rethink that thought. And I think family, can you repeat that one more time? I love it. Yeah. If we think that we're going to heaven, but heaven doesn't influence the way we think, Mm. I think we should rethink that thought because at a certain point in my young life, heaven wasn't influencing the way I was thinking. In fact, the world was. Yeah. So I got sucked into this, you know, vortex of worldliness, but here's the scary part, Kim, still reading my Bible, Mm -hmm. still doing devotionals, still going to church whenever I was home. Mm -hmm. Eventually it was, you know, rewarded a full scholarship to Temple University for academics and athletics, wow. repeated this cycle of excelling. Mm. So there was to the naked eye, a young man following the footsteps of his other older brothers who were seemingly successful. Right. Mm. Mm. And all the while I was a hypocrite. And I say that with the proper meaning of the word, a hypocrite mm. was a mask wearer. That mm. was where the word came from. There mm. were Greek actors and actresses that would wear giant masks on stage to express the emotion that they wanted the people in the back Mm. of the auditorium Mm. or the Coliseum to be able to see. And so that word was Mm. transcended outside of the stage as a negative label. Like, Oh, that person's Mm. a mask wearer or a hypocrite. Mm. And I'm going here. I am wearing the mask of worldliness because I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be popular Mm. and I wanted to be successful, but that was all pride. And I knew it. But here's the, again, sad reality with one foot in the word, Mm. do the word very well with one foot in the world, Mm -hmm. straddling the proverbial fence. Initially that position is divided and it's hurtful and there's pain there and there is uneasiness there, Mm -hmm. but the more you stay on the fence, we all know how this goes. You get numb and then it gets comfortable. Mm. Now you no longer fear, feel conviction. So now I'm, you know. I'm 21, yeah. so I'm allowed to be legally out and about. Um, I'm drafted as a f- 
first round draft pick to play professional soccer. So now mm-hmm. I'm in this world and yeah. I'm playing in that world and I would come back home and you know, who were the people that would sense how far off I was mom and dad. Yeah. I was just gonna say your parents. Yeah. They'd be the first to go, how are you doing with the Lord son? And I gave them all the right answers. I'm good mom. You know, I got everything under control. And yeah. in hindsight, again, they were the ones that were sounding the alarm that I wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So I would say on their behalf, and they would probably tell you a different narrative. Like, no, we, we have our faults and flaw, flaws and we failed our children, but they were the mm-hmm. best parents mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. me and my three older brothers could have. My father was present. He was a Law mm-hmm. enforcement official my entire life. He's still in law enforcement, mm-hmm. but he was a police officer. So he rose mm-hmm. to the ranks of chief of police in my community. Mm-hmm. So we always conducted ourselves knowing our dad was a public official. So we were respectful. He taught us about accountability and integrity. Uh, of course, we were boys. We did some mm-hmm. um, foolish <laughs> boy stuff and I'm would get sure. into some, some trouble, but we all knew what it meant to own our mistakes. And I think that mm-hmm. was what paved the way to the eventual, you know, life clip that we'll get to on my Mm -hmm. behalf. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She was um, active in the community. She was constantly going to the school board meetings, making sure that her voice was heard as a Christian mom with her kids in the school system. Um, She was a writer. So she did a lot of writing in the local newspaper. So people knew my mother and my father, my father never missed our sporting events. We played Mm -hmm. every sport you could imagine. So four boys traveling. I don't know how they did it. I have two young kids right now. And I'm like, I don't know how they made it to all of our games. I don't ever remember my pops missing my games. He was my coach. He was my brother, Michael's coach, my brother, Anthony's coach, my brother, John's coach. And like, Mm -hmm. they were such amazing examples. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you know this, Kim, but I lost my older brother, John in 2005. So my mother and father buried Mm -hmm. a child. Uh, He was 28. I was 21. So this is when I'm at college. This is when Mm -hmm. I am going through the motions spiritually. And when you're going through the motions spiritually as a believer, Mm -hmm. God will allow pain to touch your life. And a lot of people hear that pain and suffering are often the 80s that snap us Mm -hmm. out of worldliness and get us to refocus on eternity. So with the loss of my older brother in 2005, where one, I was snapped out of complacency. I truly was. And I did get back into a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. I stopped going out as a college student. But what really struck me in hindsight was seeing my mother and father navigate tragedy like that. Yeah. Losing a child. And I didn't know the gravity and the weight of what they went through, both Mm -hmm. with my brother and my experience, which we'll get to Mm -hmm. until I became a father. Yeah. So imagine I have my first daughter in 2019 we're all over the place here but it'll all make its family (laughs) and i'm holding my daughter for the first time in my hands Mm -hmm. she's only a few seconds old Mm -hmm. and there was the vein of joy that was unspeakable Mm -hmm. yeah but in the midst of that was a very deep felt pain Mm -hmm. and i would even classify it as a guilt and mm-hmm. someone say, how could that possibly be? You're holding a, your daughter. And I'm going, you don't get it. In that mm-hmm. moment, what struck me was how much I love this little girl that I don't even know yet. Yeah. I would die for her in mm-hmm. a second. And it made me think about what I put my parents through. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that context. Yeah. What they, they felt when their children were going through any type of trials. Mm-hmm. And I had not even experienced anything with my daughter, Willow. Yeah. And it was amazing what God did in my heart in that moment to sense mm-hmm. and feel, empathize yeah. what my mother and father must have felt mm. next to the casket 
with their child in it. Mm-hmm. And then obviously several years later, navigating the tragedy that I would cause. So I, I can't give them enough credit for the way they raised their boys. Um, yeah. They truly laid the foundation of faith. And that's mm-hmm. what Jesus said, right? Those yeah. that hear my word and do it, I'll liken them unto a man who builds the house upon the rock. Mm-hmm. And then the opposite, those that hear the word and don't do what I say, he says, I'll liken you to a man who builds your house upon the sand. Now here's mm-hmm. where I marry both those parables. They helped me labor to build a foundation that was the rock. It was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I began to build on that rock, a sandcastle. Yeah. Oh, so I became the king of a sandcastle, mm-hmm. right? Because that's ultimately what it was about. Look how big my sandcastle is. Yeah. And people were lauding and applauding that sandcastle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I got so far off mm-hmm. from the mark. And that's sad because here's what's yeah. the reality. Mm-hmm. Sin in all forms, public, private, big or small. We've got to get away from categorizing sin. Amen. Ensnare, in, in mm-hmm. doesn't matter how big or how small. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to stray. Mm-hmm. Sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Yeah. And sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And that's ultimately mm-hmm. the narrative that would lend itself to say how far off I was. Yeah. Amen. And you know, it's funny, my mom, uh, when I, cause I do believe a Christian can be backslidden. And I've said this time and time again, I, um, when I was backslidden, I, really, you know, because you're battling your flesh. And I lived, if someone were to see me during that time of my life, um, you, which I never professed to be a Christian, but you, I would always say, I believe in God, but um, you just, I was, I was the world, you know, everything about me was worldly because I, you know, I sing and like you, I have a very, and I know this sounds prideful. I don't mean to come across that way. But I, I I am dynamic. Even in my old age, I feel like um, even God, you opening this door for the podcast. I'm not a shy person. God uses me. I'm bold, and uh, you know I walk through those doors. But the devil also knew those sure. traits as well. That's so right. when I sang, that's how he kind of enticed me. Not kind of. That's how he enticed me. So he enticed me with sexual sin at a very early age. Mm. Perversion, I should say. Um, I was addicted to pornography for many years, which is rare for a woman. I also uh, was a bisexual for many years. And really, whoever loved me would love me, right? Mm. So looking at that, Kim, I, I do believe in my heart of hearts. I mean, I believe in eternal security. So if I were to die in that sin, I would be in heaven, right? But I also believe that during that time, because I would like you, I would have, oh, no, I need to go back to Jesus only when I really needed the Lord at that time. And then when things weren't going right, he didn't answer me right away. I'd be like, man, I'm done with you. I'm out. But um, with all that being said, my mom used to say that same exact thing. Sin will take you further than you will. Da, 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 da. And she would look at me and say, when are you going to stop? And me looking back, some of the things that she would say probably weren't the best in the moment of rebellion because it kind of kept me out there. But now looking back at that, I think my mom was a praying mom during that time. She was probably a very hurt mom during that time, wondering what did I do wrong? Now, my parents didn't raise me in church. My sister and I went to VBS and I wrote a blog about myself so people can kind of know who I am and why I am so bold for Christ. But I know when I was five, I fell in love with Jesus. I didn't say a sinner's prayer. I knew that Jesus was in my heart. I knew I didn't have love in my home. I had two alcoholic parents. My dad was this 
loudmouth Italian Mexican and my mom was this stubborn German. So I don't remember love in the home. I don't remember kindness. And a lot of my personality stems from that. You know, if I can be honest on this podcast, sometimes I am a little short tempered still. I am very impatient and I, that's God chiseling me. And I feel like if I just sat back and said, nope, I'm good. I'm good. I would be wrong, but God continues to chisel the parts that I don't want to let go. But I do believe that in the sin, God just, I don't know, like my story, I lived in that world, Matt, for 28 years. And you know what's funny? God has used me mightily in the LGBTQ community, mightily. They might not, I'm planting seeds. I've never really been, you know, I've never done the water thing or reaped the harvest yet, but I do believe there's going to be people because there's truth in love, but the first word is truth. It doesn't say love and truth, truth in love. And I speak to them truthfully, but lovingly letting them know their sin is no different than heterosexual sin. Sexual sin is sexual sin. We're the ones who categorize it. But anyway, I don't want to get off on mine because this is not my life clip, but I am here to tell you that um, uh, that's why I wanted you here because I knew you had the past or the world was enticing. So before we get to your life clip, can you just encourage somebody? We'll end it right there and just encourage the backslidden on, you know, whatever you want to say, I don't know, let the Lord speak through you, but how do you, the sin, if, if, if sin wasn't so pretty, nobody would do it. Sin is enticing. Right. So how do you courage and encourage the backslider? Yeah. So the person that's sitting in that, right. Mm. And that's going to be different layers and levels. Of course, mm-hmm. I would say first and foremost, goodness, it might be too late to reverse the consequences mm. of your sins and your decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think that can often be a reason why people stay in it and say, what's the point? There's already so much wreckage and damage, you know, God wouldn't love me. And there's so many different excuses, but you can't reverse the consequences, but you can reverse your mind in repentance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you change your mind, I think of the prodigal son who's in a Mm -hmm. pig pen and it said he came to himself and I'm going to cry there because that is, yeah, the end result is that he cleaned himself up and got his act together. He just came home. And Mm -hmm. what he found was a father Mm -hmm. who who didn't meet him with an iron fist. He found a father who ran to him, threw his arms around him and gave him a kiss. And then he said his prayer that he rehearsed. That's the prodigal son rehearsed the prayer in the pig pen. When he got home, he said the same prayer. He's like, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against mm-hmm. you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and take me back as a servant. And the, and the father doesn't mm-hmm. even answer the prayer. He actually turns and says to the servant, put sandals back on his feet. That was significant. That was saying, Mm -hmm. no, you're not going to be a servant. Servants didn't wear sandals. You're Mm -hmm. going to be my son. So there's adoption again, come back to my home. Mm -hmm. And then there's this robe, the father's robe, wrap it on my boy. He went from literal rags Mm -hmm. (laughs) to riches. And then they put this ring on his finger, which was Mm -hmm. symbolic of the family's authority and credit card. Like, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. I know you took my stuff and wasted it. And we all did that with God's stuff. God gives us stuff and we waste it. Yeah. And God says, you know, come back. And when you get, the maturity to understand what I've given you, you'll then cherish it. Mm -hmm. And then of course, slaughter the fatted calf. And that points to Jesus Christ. So to the backslidden, come home, come home. There's a father with his arms wide open. Mm -hmm. There's no condemnation in Christ. Come home. There's consequences for our decisions. We'll live with them. I'm living with mine. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
in repentance comes comes God's restoration. Yeah. So you you can't outsend the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. You can't <laughs> fall like too deep into sin mm-hmm. that Christ can't pull you out. Yeah. And he's the one that does the work. So I think some yeah. of us just need to take our hands off of our circumstances yeah. and let God put his hands on our circumstances. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was saying. Amen. And just to uh, plug you, and that's funny when you were posting, I didn't know I was getting ready. And then I, um, you know, I purchased one of your shirts and the reason I do, oh, my hair's in the way, but I do the grace over guilt. And I do that for a reason because I, the hardest thing to not live through is the guilt of what you've done. And, uh, but I am, I am showered. I see, I'm telling you this, why I didn't want to put my falsies on today or put makeup on for this reason, because I knew that my spirit would be weeping. Um, but God's grace is amazing. Absolutely That's amazing. That's right. So with that being said, let me digress here because I, I will cry. So in Matthew chapter five, verse 16, and I'm reading notes here, it says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who was in heaven. And as I wrote here on my notes, I said, that wasn't always the case, right? With you, unfortunately, on March 7th, 2009, all of that changed. And that's the reason you're here today. That's the reason I have tissues. I want you, um, I am not going to interrupt. I'm actually going to turn my microphone off. This is an amazing life clip, Matthew. And um, then I want you to end with, if you, if you would like to, I see, I can't, um, the amazing story of your son being born. Um, Sorry, family. (laughs) But anyway, I'm going to turn my mic off and this is going to be you and just the amazing savior that we serve. So anyway, it's all you. Well, I guess where we left off was this young man who was living in the world and was willfully making decisions that were not conducive to being called a Christian and Eventually, as a professional soccer player, playing in that world, living in that world, believing my own hype, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. I mean, that's ultimately the proverb that would point directly to the way I was living. And I can look back in hindsight during that time, whether it was my parents, their voice of reason and truth into my life, trying to get me to slow down, whether it was my siblings some other families and friends that said things to me that were pretty crucial that I ignored. God was pursuing me and trying to get me to see the error in my lifestyle. It all came to a head when I tore my ACL and my meniscus in the last professional soccer game I would ever participate in. It took place in a Philadelphia spectrum. I knew I tore my knee midweek and MRI confirmed it. They scheduled my surgery for the following week. So you know, there's a lot of misconception about the way I was thinking that week. A lot of people would have assumed I was in depression. I was discouraged. And yeah, of course, that's a career ending injury, yeah. possibly. But the opposite holds true. I was entitled. I remember thinking, you know what? I'm going to go home this summer. I'm not going to be playing pro soccer. I'm going to get the surgery. I'm going to go do me. That was my mentality. I'm going to go home to my old stomping grounds. You know, I'm going to go out all summer. People are going to know who I am. There's a lot of pride. It's disgusting when I think about it. Mm. So I didn't fall back on that faith foundation. I I went the way of the world 
Here's the craziest part is I think it was a Thursday of that week. So it was on a Sunday, March 1st, go to Thursday of that week. I hobble into the Philadelphia spectrum with my other older brother, Anthony, who was also playing professional soccer. Mm -hmm. And we were doing an interview in the locker room. Now, let me kind of paint the picture here. This is a locker room where some of the greatest athletes, entertainers of all time have graced. You name the athlete or the entertainer, Michael Jordan, Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson, Mike Tyson. I mean, name them. And they were in this locker room. And here I am not even recognizing how blessed I am to be where I am, Mm. even though I'm injured, doing an interview about being a Christian Mm. as a pro soccer player with my brother. That was Mm. Thursday. So of course, Mm. I answered exactly as you would expect a Christian to answer, Mm -hmm. said all the right things. Friday was March 6th. My team was traveling to Baltimore that weekend. I couldn't travel. I was an injured reserve list, obviously. I left the apartment that I was living in. My brother was the last person to actually, you know, see me and talk to me before I left. And he said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going out, having some dinner with some friends. And he kind of like implored me to not go out, but also to Mm. not do anything stupid. And here's Mm. why he knew where I was because he too tore his knee early in his career Mm -hmm. and he had navigated it, had the surgeries and got back to where, you know, hard work brought him, but I didn't heed that. And it's not cliche to say that when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Mm -hmm. I had no plan that night. I went out, picked up a friend. We went and got dinner in Maniunk actually downtown Philadelphia. Then we made our way to Maniunk. So there were several establishments that I frequented. Um, didn't have any alcoholic beverages until I ran into an old friend from college. And it was um, him and I's connection from our past. That was like, let's have a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty much the beginning of the end. I had several drinks from that point forward, got to one establishment in Maniunk, had a conversation with the bartender who I knew talked about my knee injury. Again, I didn't want to discuss that ordered shots instead of Mm -hmm. passing them out to the group that I was in. I took several of them Mm -hmm. literally simultaneously. And the lights came on in the establishment. My intentions were to make our way to the next stop, which was Atlantic city, you know, and I stop and I digress here because people have asked, what were you thinking? And I I think Mm -hmm. that's the point when you're under the influence of alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be, you're not thinking that's the danger. Mm -hmm. That's the tragedy. When you put something in your system that takes your sobriety, you're not thinking. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking, not Mm -hmm. an excuse, just where I was. My friend and I got into my vehicle. Ironically, he lived a mile down the street and all we had to do was either walk or catch a cab. Like we've done tons of times Mm -hmm. yet here we are 2 a.m in the morning going atlantic city i remember vividly a lot of the the journey up to this point um i got onto the expressway i began speeding it was around mile post 21 if you're familiar with the area there's a rest stop there where the state police barracks actually has their headquarters I followed a car that was going pretty fast. My, you know, we call them the rabbit. So I figure he's speeding. I'll just mm-hmm. kind of trail him. And there's a toll booth ahead. We're both going to have to slow down. And 
this is where my speeding, my inability to make swift decisions because of the intoxication level caused me to change lanes rapidly past one vehicle going into the nineties and another vehicle that I didn't see because I was looking out of my rear view to the right, getting back into the lane was Mr. Hort Cap's vehicle. And he was going the speed limit and my front right struck his back left and the impact sent him off to the side of the road, hitting a guardrail and flipping sent me off the left side of the road, hitting a guardrail. And according to the accident reconstruction, Kim, they said my several ton SUV rail slid the guardrail like a skateboard and right on the other side of that guardrail were trees. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's unbelievable to consider Mm -hmm. the, the rail redirected us like a roller coaster. And I came to a complete stop in Mm -hmm. shock. My passengers shooken up and several things were happening simultaneously and we were panicking and OnStar clicked on in my vehicle. I communicated to them. I got out of my vehicle. I went over to my friend and he was kind of delirious. And I kind of looked at him. He looked at me. Now cars are pulling over in the middle of the highway. And this is where I got like a snapshot of the vehicle I struck. And a lot of people, why don't you go over and help? And it's like, that's not how in the midst of all that, like my first thought was, is my friend all right? Am I all right? Like, I look across the street and people are now standing outside of the car. Mm. And in hindsight, I thought that was the driver and the passengers, but the police would tell us later that was just people that were witnesses. The cop showed up within minutes. They detained me. They took Mm. me to the local barracks a mile and a half back the other way. I'm in a state police jail cell. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around what just happened. Again, I'm in shock. I'm aware of what I did. I crashed. I'm aware of the consequences. I was a legal studies major at Temple, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew the law. I knew I was going to get a DUI. I knew what that meant, lose my license. I knew there would be fines and consequences. I started to think about my knee injury, surgery the next week. So I'm having all these thoughts. I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. my family. My pops is going to kill me. It never dawned on me, not for a second, that anybody was hurt. Yeah. Right? I know there was another vehicle. And it wasn't until I overheard a dispatch conversation. It was right outside the jail cell. The jail cell didn't have metal bars. The jail cell had a glass enclosure. And I could hear through the muffled sound of the dispatch what they were reporting. And this is literally what I overheard. And it literally paralyzed my soul. They said accident on the Atlantic city expressway is currently being cleaned up. And I remember kind of sitting on the edge of the bench. They said the driver in the black escalator is in custody. That was me. Mm -hmm. And they said the driver in the town and country is deceased. Mm -hmm. And I remember actually repeating that word, whether out loud or internally. I don't know. All I remember is going deceased. Like what, what does deceased even mean? I remember trying to justify Mm -hmm. and convince myself that what I just heard was not true. There was no way that they just said that about my incident. Hours went by. I don't remember these hours into the wee hours of the morning. They came again. I remember them opening it. I'm in a state of shock. The police officer put me back in the cruiser. They took me to the local hospital. They drew my blood. This would be the blood 
that would determine my BAC, my mm-hmm. blood alcohol content. I don't remember any of that. I, I honestly, it's it's like bits and pieces of the needle and the and the doctors and the cops, and then taking me back to the jail cell. A couple of hours later, they were taking me out of the jail cell, take me into a side interrogation room, sit me down, and I was the one to speak first in the midst of mm-hmm. probably again five to eight law enforcement officials at this point, and they're all mm-hmm. surrounding me. And I said, may I ask a question? And they said, yes. And I said, did the other driver die? Mm -hmm. And the officer said, you're good. He said, Matthew, brace yourself. This is going to be the hardest day of your entire life. It was March 7th. And then I wept. And the officers were gracious. The one officer came and sat next to me and gave me tissues. And he actually said, I was at your soccer game with my I think his son this past weekend where you tore your ACL. And I remember just being like, like, what are the odds of that? And then they pushed record on the tape recorder and said, you have the right to remain silent and anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. And from Mm -hmm. that point forward, did what I thought was right. They answered or they asked any question And every question you could possibly imagine, Mm -hmm. what time did I wake up that morning? What did I eat for breakfast? Where did I go? Mm -hmm. Who did I talk to? What phone calls did I make? What text messages did I make? Who did I like every question you can imagine from the moment I woke up that day, which Mm -hmm. would have been Friday morning, the sixth to the moment I'm in this room with them, which was March 7th in the morning. And I told them everything. Yeah. Whatever I could recollect, I had nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are like, why did you do that? You know, you should have waited to a lawyer. And I was like, no, no, no. See, that was one of the things my father had raised us to be forthright and to be honest and to own again at this particular point, whatever consequences were coming. And I didn't have any clue what was coming. Um, in the midst of all the questions, a knock at the, at the door came. It was the secretary. And she said, excuse me. And she said, his father's here. And he wasn't with her at this time. She was making sure that they would allow him to come in. Mm -hmm. And then she told them who he was. She said, Chief John Mayer and all the law enforcement officials in the room came. They literally, literally looked at me like, why didn't you tell us who your father was? Yeah. And I remember saying, what difference would it have made? Like, I get what they were trying to say, like cops kid. Yeah. But we never wanted that to be how we were treated Mm -hmm. like my dad's a cop in fact we used to we used to not say he was because we didn't want to shame him when we would get into stupid trouble as kids but here Mm -hmm. i am in serious trouble and Mm -hmm. so she formally introduces him and he's allowed to enter the room and Mm -hmm. i'm at the end of the table and i'm about to see my father Mm -hmm. and he walks in and he he acknowledged everybody he gave them this nod he didn't say a word and he walked down to the edge of the table And he kissed me on my forehead and he literally looked at his son and said, we're going to get through this. That was my first Mm. impression from my father. 
And family, I need you to get this. I'm sitting in my absolute worst and my earthly father gave me his absolute best. And that pales in comparison to what our heavenly father has given us mm. when we're in our worst. Yeah. And then they, he turned to his peers and said, what are we looking at? And they told him in certain terms what happened and what we were looking at. He knew what that meant. And, you know, to fast forward the consequences, I was released to my father. I was only charged with a DUI and a seatbelt misdemeanor because charges were forthcoming. After the accident reconstruction, Kim, it would show how fast I was going. It would show my negligence, my recklessness, how Mm -hmm. intoxicated I was. And that would warrant the charges of first degree aggravated manslaughter, which would come about two weeks later after I got the knee injury surgery. I'm in Philadelphia doing the rehab. State police come to my parents' house Mm -hmm. with the official charges I wasn't home. They asked my father to contact me to turn myself in. I did so the very next day, Mm -hmm. hobbled into the Atlantic County courthouse, turned myself in. I was bonded out, bailed out. And for the next 10 months, navigated these consequences of great guilt, shame, humiliation. Um, I lawyered up. We then entered into this process where the prosecutor would tell my lawyer what the charges were. And, you know, from the beginning to be completely transparent, Mm -hmm. my father and my brothers, my family and myself, we were very um, set on not bringing any undue pain or additional grief, I should say, to this victim's family, Mm -hmm. because we could have the legal system gives you the opportunity to, you know, fight it. Right. Yeah. Um, we didn't. And mm-hmm. I think, think my lawyer would attest in every meeting. What do you like? What, what should we do? What do you want me to do? What do we, this is what we're looking at. And we were like, Matthew's guilty. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was not common mm-hmm. to have a DUI fatality, vehicular homicide, vehicular manslaughter in New Jersey to carry um, more prison time than three to five years. Right. Mm-hmm. And here I am looking at 10 to 30 years. So most people would have advised, like, you got to push back on this. They're mm-hmm. treating him like, you know, he's a career criminal and, and there may have been some truth to them handling me heavily because of my mm-hmm. father being a cop because of me being a pro soccer player in the platform I had. And, but we didn't mm-hmm. want to fight that. I mean, yeah. again, I think with, with mm-hmm. total clarity, in hindsight, I see how God was using all of this yeah. to develop our family's faith, mm-hmm. to see if we would trust him, even with these ginormous consequences. Yeah. I had the opportunity to speak post that summer. So we enter into September, October, November of that year, 2009. I'm in no man's land. I'm waiting for my sentencing day, which is January 7th, 2010. And I was contacted by a local governmental agency called the South Jersey Traffic Safety Alliance, and they would go into schools and colleges with programs that, you know, preventative programs. And they found it fitting that my story would fit kind of what they were trying to accomplish. So they Mm -hmm. asked me if I'd be willing to speak. And contrary to a lot of people's opinions about me not speaking, right, don't speak, it's too early. 
you know, this will look bad. I felt compelled. And I remember mm-hmm. saying to my family, like, I got to do this. This is the right thing to do. And the reason why was I remember being a kid and seeing pro athletes that got in trouble and you would see like their mugshot on ESPN or on the news mm-hmm. and you would never hear a peep out of them. If you did, it was always an excuse or a justification. And I remember early on thinking, I don't want to be that, that role model, mm-hmm. that young kids who looked up to me never heard me own my consequences. So I found Mm -hmm. it fitting that the Lord gave me a platform. I spoke at 35 different high schools and colleges, which was approved by my victim's family. Number one, it was therapeutic for me to be able to share it openly Mm -hmm. before I even spend one day in prison, honor Mr. Hort Cap, who was a 55 year old man, a father, a brother, a son, um, to get his family to be able to see and hear um, their daddy's life was not taken in vain. Right. Mm-hmm. And now I'm um, in the month before my sentencing day, sharing publicly. And now I'm standing before a judge on January 7th. And I, and I kind of fast forward to that moment just to make a point. Mm-hmm. It was on that day that the judge, with great wisdom, pointed back to those X amount of presentations and said, I've, I've, I've watched it. Somebody recorded it at one of the presentations. And the judge got his hands on it. And he said, I watched this DVD over and over. And, mm-hmm. I, and he was, he was, he was in awe. He's like, I've never seen somebody who did what this young man did take ownership of it this early mm-hmm. on. And this is sincere. Like, it's not why I did it. It wasn't like, I hope that one day the judge sees this. No. Right. But I believe that with all my heart, that was God allowing mm-hmm. me the opportunity to experience redemption mm-hmm. by owning, like you first have to own your consequences and your sin. And then God disowns you from that consequence and that sin. Like he, he severs the ties of the guilt and the shame. And the night before sentencing day, my mother and father prayed and my mother prayed a prayer where she quoted Proverbs 21, one. And she said, we believe tomorrow the King's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water shall he'll turn it whichever way he wills. And she literally prayed the family's heart is in the King's hand, our, our King and um, the judge's heart, our lawyer's heart. Like, and we woke up on January 7th where I would stand before a judge and we were all at peace about what the, what the consequences would be. Right. I was looking at maybe seven years in state prison. Mm-hmm. The judge would decide. We didn't know what to expect. And I had the opportunity to speak on court day. And that's what I really wanted. I didn't care about the time the judge would give me. I didn't care about what prison would look like. I, I figured I'd get to all that, but I, mm-hmm. this was my moment to turn to this family that I don't know and expect express to them my remorse and my sorrow and apologize openly and publicly and look them in the eyes mm-hmm. and at least seek forgiveness. Like that was it. That's all I could control in that very moment. Everything else was out of my control. And I sat down, I, I, I turned to the judge. I apologized that he had to preside over such a tragedy. I, I apologized to my community mm-hmm. and I sat down and I, I spoke my, my part. Yeah. And then there were several people that spoke on my behalf. As you can imagine, my father, my brothers, uh, the South Jersey Traffic Safety Alliance sent their reps to say, we traveled with him to these schools and colleges like this is the real deal. And, you know, Matthew is remorseful. It was very warming and, and heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Hort Cap's daughter got to speak and it was beautiful. She began by saying, we've heard nothing but good things about Mr. Mayor. And then she proceeded to tell us about who her daddy was. Like, we've heard about Mr. Mayor. Now let us tell you about who our dad was. And she she gave us his resume, hardworking man, left the Kumaruj kill, killing fields in Cambodia, 
to give his family a better life in the United States of America, hard worker. And, you know, it was beautiful. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. Like mm-hmm. you can almost even see the judge was just moved by this presentation. Yeah. And then her brother was able to speak. His name was Noon. And Noon threw off that entire vibe, right? And rightfully so. Noon began mm-hmm. to yell at the top of his lungs about how he heard of his daddy's dying. And he literally said, as I remember, I got a phone call. I got a phone. You know what it's like to get a phone call? Mm-hmm. Your daddy died. And he said other things. And he's looking at me. And he literally, his last thing that he said with such raw emotion was, you destroyed my world. And he pointed at me mm-hmm. just like that. And I'm at this bench and I'm literally looking at him and I'm, I'm whimpering on the inside. I'm trying to gain my composure. I don't want to look away. I'm crying out to God. Don't let it end like this. Like, don't let this be the last thing that happens here. And I kid you not. People wouldn't believe this. If there wasn't a video, a composure that only heaven could provide came upon this young man. And he stopped and his very next words to me after you destroyed my world were, but I forgive you, my brother. And he came walking over to me and the bailiff kind of stepped out of the way. The judge told me I could stand and him and I, noon and I hugged each other right there in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. And I whispered in his ear, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And all of that weight and all of that guilt and all of that shame that I carried into that experience, it literally, it literally left. It literally evaporated. It, I can't mm-hmm. express it. I can't verbalize it. From that point forward, I sat down and I just could not believe that in a moment mm-hmm. I was set free, completely, entirely set free. It was in that moment where it was if, as if God was allowing heaven and earth to collide where I truly understood the gospel. And I think people need to understand that human exchange was such a catalyst. And even that human exchange, which I hold nearly and dearly to my heart, it pales in comparison to what the gospel expresses. We all deserve judgment. We all deserve to stand before a judge. I stood in a place of judgment. I know what it feels like to be in front of an earthly judge with the weight of a punishment and a consequence that a lawyer couldn't get me out of. My good works couldn't get me out of. And I stood there rightfully so. And then Mm. a son stood up and a son entered in and Mm. a son interrupted and a son intercepted and literally severed the ties of what would be judgment and gave me forgiveness. And I'm going, that was the gospel. Mm. And that's what the Bible says God did for us, right? Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love. And I've often looked at that and goes, God's own type of love. Like what type of love is this? That he would, while we're in our sin, Mm. not when we're doing good, not when we're putting our life back together, when we're in our sin, when we're sinners, when we're worth nothing, when we're jacked up, messed up, that's when Christ died for us. So my first Mm. night in a cold, dark January 7th prison cell, I've never been freer, never been at more peace, never Mm. more excited about what God was going to do next. So I don't say this to diminish what I did and or the consequences 
of prison. But I say this to show you how amazing grace over guilt is Mm -hmm. and how powerful the peace of God is. Mm -hmm. The next 55 months, four years and seven months of my incarceration behind a wall felt like 55 days because of the peace of God every day, recommitting Mm -hmm. my heart and my life with new eyes to say, God, what are you going to do today? And like the apostle Paul just was excited to share Christ with mm. a dark environment. Yeah. So you quoted Matthew 5, 16. Mm. Let your light so shine yeah. before men, okay? That they, the men, the world may see your good works, okay? Mm. Your good works would be your conduct, your conversation, your character, but more explicitly, your good works are showing the world how God looks. Yeah, And they need to see how God looks in the midst of suffering, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of mm-hmm. consequences. And they need to see us have a hope that transcends circumstances, mm-hmm. a joy that even in sorrow is able to smile and with tears coming down our cheeks, able mm-hmm. to say, God is still good. Amen. They'll see your good works, which is how God looks. And it says, they'll glorify your father mm-hmm. in heaven. Yeah. And I have testimony after testimony of inmates who were down and out, broken, battered, hardened. And God used this broken vessel to shine Mm -hmm. that light through for them to see how God looks. And many men gave their lives to Christ, Mm -hmm. not because of me. And I'll ever (laughs) take credit for, I boast in the cross, but I often say like Paul, are you willing to say, imitate me? Cause I'm imitating Christ. And as Mm -hmm. long as they're watching me, they're going to see Christ inside of me. And God was able to use that as like a touch point to rapture hearts Kim, Mm -hmm. and to take souls back from the devil in a place that would otherwise be considered his domain, Mm. not on this Christian's watch. And I think that is a microcosm of what we should be about in Mm. the greater world, right? We're the lights in a dark world. Mm -hmm. And if it's dark, it's because we're not shining our light. We're the salt of the earth. So Mm -hmm. gosh, I can tell you story after story about that experience. We yeah. probably would have to do another life clip to talk about <laughs> some of those. But I was released on August 3rd, 2014, 55 mm-hmm. months later. And I was catapulted out of prison, a man on fire again, not knowing what I was going to do. And, and here's like kind of the, the, the pretty cool piece of the story that not many people know. My brothers, Michael and Anthony, are successful businessmen and um, both believers. And what do you think they wanted to do for their younger brother? They wanted to help me get my feet underneath me and put me back on, you know, solid ground. Right. So Mm -hmm. there was, Hey, what can we do to help? We got this contact and we can get you this job and they will attest. And my parents will attest. I was unwilling to do anything that I felt was outside of the calling God placed on my life. So mind you, I get out of prison. Mm -hmm. I got nothing. I've been stripped of everything. And it's amazing how God began to open doors, but here's the point. I was unwilling it wasn't like I'm sitting off on the sidelines going, oh, God wants to do it. He's going to have to do it. It was, I was active and I was willing to serve and seek, but he's the one that said, here's an opportunity to use your gift. Mm-hmm. And I was contacted by state farm insurance and they wanted to me to go back into the schools. Now, mind you, what did I do before I went away? I spoke in schools and colleges and now I'm back in schools and colleges mm-hmm. as soon as I got out and mm-hmm. I'm speaking about the entire 
testimony, not just what I did to get mm, there, what right. happened on court day mm. and what God did while there yeah. and what accountability and responsibility are so pivotal. Mm. I got married to my wife, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't talk about her enough about her support and how God brought us together. Kim, she has been the most important piece of this puzzle as far as a, a godly woman that would stand mm-hmm. behind me, encourage me, champion me, support me. Um, you know, walking out a, a two of the years really of the four and a half years with me, um, mm. put a ring on her finger while I was in prison. And people are like, what? I'm going, hold up a second. <laughs> it wasn't a real ring. It was a string ring. And she was out in the community showing people the string ring. And people were like, well, you're engaged to a guy. You know? And like, she was unashamed to associate mm. herself with an inmate. And I go, that's mm. really cool because God is un- unashamed to associate himself with mm. sinner. Amen. We got married on November 8th, which mm. is coming up. We'll be married for seven years. Wow. Happy anniversary. Yeah. We have two children. <laughs> um, I've traveled relentlessly over the past X amount of years and have shared versions of this testimony. It always comes out differently. I stop at different places and tell different sides of the, the diamond. I say diamonds have different reflections and different mm-hmm. clarities and different beauties. You just mm-hmm. keep turning on them and you reflect a different brilliance and that's redemption. Yeah. So my daughter was born on May 10th, 2019. And her her name was Willow Joy. And I talked about that earlier about what I felt. And Mm -hmm. um, every single year on March 7th is an anniversary of that tragedy every year. And if you have an anniversary, good or bad, you know what I'm talking about. When it swings around, sometimes it can encompass an entire month, right? Mm -hmm. If my parents in December losing a son that's an entire month ordeal, right? There's this feeling that you have entering in that month, no matter how much time passes. Well, that's March 7th for me, right? Every year, March 7th. And I know I'm forgiven. Mm -hmm. Trust me when I tell you that forgiven by God, forgiven by my victim's family, Mm -hmm. but there's still this spiritual nausea that kind of rises Mm -hmm. up in the soul. I'm reminded of what I did, which is healthy. It's Mm -hmm. humiliating, um, which humbles me, which is healthy. Uh, guilt is healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Guilt that l- is left to fester is not healthy. That turns right. to shame. That's right. Guilt That's right. is a trigger that rolls over to grace, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's guilt, there's greater grace. And you're like, oh, thank you for grace. Mm-hmm. This past March 7th would have been 12 years, Kim, 12 years. Wow. And I'm gearing up for that, right? Here it comes. Mm-hmm. Crazy things have happened in the month of March over the past several years. You know, the enemy's constantly trying to exploit that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm reminded I'm a murderer and I'm a drunk driver. And that comes mm-hmm. from all different angles. It comes from people, you know, that would hear me yeah. speak and preach my heart and kind of talk about forgiveness and redemption. They still want to fling that at me. And I'm always mm-hmm. spiritually sensitive. Um, the only difference this past year moving into March was my wife was pregnant with our second child. The due date was mid-February. So as you know, people would say, well, it's your second child. The due date's going to be pretty precise. You know, the baby's going to come quicker than the first one. And so that's what we're expecting. And Mm -hmm. the due date came and went. Now we're kind of pushed into the latter days of February. And after February 28th, it turned to March 1st. And now we're kind of like waiting and she's frustrated. She wants this baby out of her (laughs) at this point. And mom knows what I'm talking about. And I'm on standby and I'm waiting, but March 1st turned to March 3rd and then March 5th. And now we're like Mm. way beyond the due date and March 6th 
is when her water breaks. Mm -hmm. So I take her to the hospital earlier in the day. They take us to labor and delivery and the process begins, right? Contraction after contraction and they're picking up pace and baby could come at any moment. But in the back of my mind, I know what the next day will be, Mm -hmm. but I'm not kind of like making the connection yet. I'm not thinking that far until the late afternoon and she's still laboring turned into the evening. And now I'm watching the clock on the wall turn from like 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. And I'm watching my wife and I'm trying to support her and the contractions are getting worse. And and eventually the hands on the wall of the clock went from 11.59 to 12 midnight, which means, Mm. you know, I have my Apple watch on the digital number six Mm. turned to seven. And it was on March 7th of all days that we welcomed the arrival of our second child, a son that we named Ezekiel. And yes, and I know some people out there, and because I've I've already received some of the thoughts from people about me sharing it this way, like, you know, are you saying that the day that you took someone's life, that God gave you a gift of life? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Mm right? I'm, I'm, I'm saying exactly that Yeah. on the day that these hands took life and God allowed it mm. is the same day. God gave me life in the form of my son Yeah. because he is a God that is gracious and good Amen. and redeeming. And my son's name means God is my strength, which is a reminder on the very day in 2009, God was not my strength mm. and I lived in my own strength. And when you live in your own strength, it leads to failure Mm-hmm. And now when I look at my son and his birthday is a reminder that God is my strength Amen. and mm-hmm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. And that is just like the tip of the iceberg of God's redeeming power and mm-hmm. bringing beauty from ashes. Yeah. I can go yeah. on and on, Kim. I mm-hmm. probably have said enough for our oh, family here. Um God has been extremely gracious to me and I'm always passionate about sharing that with the -hmm. world at large and wherever he sends me just got done last night in Maryland. Not Mm -hmm. sure when we'll, you'll post this, but uh, to put it into the right frame of reference uh, last night was the 18th presentation slash exposition slash message in 21 days, which Mm -hmm. means I've just been all over sharing with what ever God puts on my heart about the times we're living in mm-hmm. and how every believer, there should be a sense of urgency Amen. to hold tightly to our salvation. Not that you can lose it, but if, if it's a gift, I want to cherish it. And I want to, yeah. I want to utilize it because mm-hmm. there are people that need to see that what we believe is real. Yeah. Right. Because how we live will mm-hmm. convince people whether or not we believe what we believe. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, So on that, I know you got to go here soon, but um, the, the the story, your life clip is absolutely amazing. And I, that's why I wanted to end there with Ezekiel, because I agree with that. Um, You know, it's funny. And I, again, that's why I started life clips. I I think the church, and I don't want to tread lightly here. The church can be the most judgmental, critical group of people. They don't understand grace. They don't. And they, they get, I feel like they become born again. And I'm using air quotes for my podcast listeners 
but they don't, I don't know, do you not have a relationship? Because how do you so quickly forget God's grace? God found all of us in the gutter. Yes. And I would never, that's why I wanted you on here because out of the ashes come this amazing, and again, it's just, it's the fingerprint of God. Right. And I, you know, I know I was joking about the world, but God has used me mightily while I Uber with the unsaved. Um, I am unashamed of who Jesus is and the life change in my life. And we are living in the day and age. And I think that's, you know, I want to be a Deborah. I want to be an Esther for such a time as this. And I firmly believe uh, Matthew. And again, this is not boastful or, you know, prideful for you, but man, you're anointed of God for such a time as this. We are living in some broken, deceitful times. And I, you are just this voice. I mean, again, I I call out false teachers and there's so many of them out there that seem so charismatic on the stage. And they, they're so they're winsome to the, to the youth of today. And yet they're not telling them, I'm saying, I'm going to get passionate. Calm me down, Lord. They are not passionate about who Jesus is. What is the gospel? I don't care about your self-help. I don't care about your prosperity. I don't leave, leave all of that out. Tell me about Jesus and Uh what he does in your life. So I want to thank you again. I know you're so busy and thank you for taking the time out today. Thank you for sharing this amazing life clip with our family members. I hope this garners views again, both on rumble and also on the podcast platform. I know you're extremely busy, but I would love, love to have you back to speak upon what is going on in this world today. Lord willing, if we're still here, maybe the new year, we can connect again because you uh, check out the series, the Daniel series, for those who are listening, I will post all of those links here in the show notes. Um, Don't ever take a couple of weeks off. I, I, you just can't do that to me. You like left us all hanging and I'm like, I mean, I know Daniel, but you bring it, you bring it to life. You really do. Cause Daniel, it can be a confusing book because oh, one half of Daniel is this. The second half is very right. prophetical. That's right. And I'm that's like, right. here comes this the second guy, week. What's happening. Listen, my, my church family comes up to me when they see me. Right. And you know, again, they're, they, they're, they're awesome. And I'm like, mm-hmm. we hope you're well rested. And I'm like, you have no idea where, where I've been. Like if I'm no. not in the pulpit, trust yeah. I'm not on the beach. Sipping a yeah, margarita, unless my wife posts a picture, we're on vacation. <laughs> I'm somewhere else. And I yeah. feel compelled Kim, mm-hmm. to, and I've said this before, um, you know, if we want to reach the unchurched and the de-churched, mm-hmm. then the church needs to be rechurched. Amen. And I feel compelled to address anybody that calls himself Christian. Mm-hmm. Like that's my audience. So when I preach the way I preach, I'm sorry if there's a non-believer present and they're offended. And I know believers are even offended. Trust me, I get the emails and I get the mm-hmm. comments. I'm beyond that these days, especially with yeah. the delusion and the deception. But mm-hmm. the point is my story lends itself to the non-believer. Like, wait, that guy did what? And God can forgive him. But mm-hmm. when I'm in the pulpit, mm-hmm. the Bible I read, all the epistles Paul wrote were directed to the church Amen. and the Christian. <laughs> and there was rebukes and admonishments and mm-hmm. edification and redirecting. And like, because if they didn't get it right, mm-hmm. And they would not be the lights in the public square. Exactly. So when I'm in my pulpit, mm-hmm. my challenge is to encourage the Christian because when we leave the building, mm-hmm. church doesn't end. That's in right. Fact, you become the church. So mm-hmm. I want to end by just sharing to those watching and listening. Um, gosh, do you remember where the woman of ill repute came in and Jesus mm-hmm. is sitting with Pharisees, religious leaders, right? 
And she begins to anoint him with her oil and she's weeping and she's using her tears. They're probably falling on his feet. And let's kind of put this into the right context. She's probably snotting. And, and when somebody's a crier, they can be an ugly crier, but she's worshiping this, this, this teacher, Jesus, and, mm. and for who he is. And it says the religious leaders, Simon is his name, says in their hearts, if this man was a prophet, he would know what type of woman this is that is touching him. Mm. And you know what Jesus does? This is why I love our God. He turns to them and goes, I have something to say to you. It's like, you just said something in your heart about her. I have something from my heart to say to you. Mm. And he tells a parable about debt and the greater debt. He's like, somebody was canceled of a great, great debt. Like this debt was huge compared to the other one. He goes, Hey, which one do you think would be more appreciative? Like, which one do you think would be more grateful? So the answer is obvious. Well, the one that was canceled of a greater debt. And then Jesus drives the point home. Mm-hmm. See this woman here. I walked in your house. You didn't greet me with a kiss honor. You didn't anoint me as a guest of honor would receive. She's not stopped kissing me, greeting me, honoring me, worshiping me. And here's the point. Those who are forgiven of much will love much. And the reason why the church, and I too say that with our quote fingers, like those that are playing church are judgmental is because they don't recognize what they've been forgiven for. I recently preached somewhere and I made the connection that we're all sinners. Mm -hmm. And if you think the sin of a liar weighs less than the sin of a murderer in God's eyes, you don't know your Bible. Amen. And somebody got up and walked out. I watched them get up and leave because in their churchy mind, they don't want to hear that, right? Because they want their good works. You're not comparing Mm -hmm. me. I've never done what you did. You drunk driver, you murderers. Mm -hmm. And this mentality of judgmentalism and, Mm -hmm. and looking down our noses Mm-hmm. is because people don't understand what they've been forgiven of that's and what right. God's spared them from. So Amen. that's a sermon in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I can't help myself I like you. I get that's excited okay. to make I the know. biblical connections. Kim, I'm honored. Thank you for your graciousness, your hospitality here and having the opportunity in any forum on any platform to talk about God's great grace in mm-hmm. spite of, and in light of my great mistake mm-hmm. is always my honor. Thank you. And I don't take it lightly. So thank you, my sister. I look forward to reconvening and we'll probably talk about some of these cultural issues Mm. that the church is navigating. That's like kind of where my heart is these days. Definitely. And it's, it's good. So just on a side note, just two things here. Number one, um, you do convict me from the pulpit. We discussed briefly about me fasting. So just so you know, it does not fall upon deaf ears. I've never fasted a day in my life. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm a little bit too chunky to give up food. So that ain't happening, but I'm more addicted to Facebook than I am a cheeseburger. So I said, let me give up Facebook. And I did. So you do convict me from that pulpit. And that's what pastors should do. Number two, I know that you are now going to be a lead pastor, correct? Because right now you're the teaching pastor. So are you opening? Are you, are you going to be a main or, you know, you're still going to stay the same teaching pastor, but you're opening a new church. We are. So okay. we're still undecided on what that's going to look like, what gotcha. we're gonna do the current location. So there's a lot of moving parts, but no. So our lead pastor, I'm the associate 
or teaching mm-hmm. pastor. And we're about to okay. ordain another young man. His name's Matt too. So there's three Matt's at my church, which gotcha. is very I know, Right. Yeah. So, Matthew Stokes, I believe is your pastor. Matthew Stokes is our okay. lead pastor. Yes. Um, Matthew Mayer. And then we have another Matt who's okay. going to be ordained soon. So there'll be three Matt's. I love it because when people- And he's younger. Up, I think I've heard him speak at he the is. church as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And they go, Okay. Um, excuse me, uh, can you direct me to Pastor Matt? And I go, um, what's your concern? And based on the concern- <laughs> is which Pastor Matt I direct them to. (laughs) So funny. All right. Well, listen, you've been a blessing. So uh, again, you know, let's just keep doing what we do. And I'm I'm unashamed of uh, getting people upset. We need to ruffle feathers. (laughs) The clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. Jesus, come get us today. But anyway, be blessed and uh, have an amazing rest of your weekend. And uh, just keep plugging. That's all I can say. So anyway, have an amazing weekend. We'll chat. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Life Clips. Life Clips uploads episodes every Friday. So head on over to our Rumble channel, Life Clips underscore podcast. One more time. That is Life Clips underscore podcast to get notified when we upload. Make sure when you're on our Rumble channel, you give us a Rumble comment and share. You can also subscribe to us on many podcast platforms, such as Google, Apple, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or Pandora. And now since we have our own private server, feel free to email us. If you want to be a guest, if you have a question or a comment, email us at questions at lifeclipspodcast.com. Again, that email address is questions at lifeclipspodcast.com. And finally, I am saving the best news for last. Without the encouragement that we have as believers that we read in Titus chapter 2, 13, this world would be very overwhelming right now. But we are told to look for our blessed hope, to look for the glorious appearing of Jesus. May you be encouraged today. I'm looking forward to seeing each and every one of you in the air one day. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus.